prepare the way is a continual leading phrase for the Advent, I mean, for Lent every year. Every year in Lent, we talk about preparing the way. And the way we talk about it is very biblical. In Isaiah 40, in the third, third verse, it says, Clear the way, for the Lord is in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist came saying, Make ready the way of the Lord. In Matthew 3, 3, he's the messenger that's sent by God, the scriptures tell us. In Mark 1, 2, and 3, this messenger that comes ahead of you is John the Baptist. In Luke, third chapter, the fourth verse. In John, the first chapter, the 23rd verse. This idea of preparing the way for people to come to God has a rich and deep biblical history. And every season, we enter into a time of preparation for celebrating Easter. That's what the church has, has carved us into our uh, liturgical time frame. How it gets us ready for Easter is for us to prepare the way for God to come into our hearts anew and afresh. We do it through self-examination, repentance, self-denial, prayer and fasting, attending to all the ordinances of God. Preparing ourselves is a big part of these 40 days as we build up toward Easter. As I tell congregations every year, and every year a new person hears it, even though they've heard me say it several years, is you can never truly celebrate Easter unless you've gone through Lent. You just can't get there. You can't be ready for the joy and the thunder of the resurrection morning, just like we experienced in that song, unless you've really been preparing for it. And that's why we work hard to prepare ourselves for that Lenten journey. Now I want to stretch you. It's good to prepare yourself for this Lenten journey. So what if we take this phrase, prepare the way, and give it a broader biblical framework? What if we see it in a different way? What if we see the mission of the church and the vision of the church as the called people of God who are constantly and consistently striving to prepare the way for people to know God? and to receive God into their lives? What if preparing the way becomes the central driving thought of every Christian who calls Christ Lord and Savior? What a difference that would make in our world. What a difference that would make in our churches. What a difference that would make on Judgment Day. If the church took as its driving force the idea that our main job, having been saved, is to prepare the way for others to know the same glorious Lord that we have encountered and accepted in our lives. In other words, we would be living for others. Now, we started on a journey of reorienting ourselves to our mission, reorienting orienting ourselves to our vision. And I'll tell you the truth, it's hard for me to decide which comes first, the vision or the mission. I think the, the vision is practically what we think about. What's our vision? I think you're going to get that memorized after we do it about another 40 times. You're going to be really ready to say it with conviction. Filling every neighborhood with the good news of God's love tricky way to do it is by spreading it in the congregation. What does it look like? If you check out the screens, you're going to see what that would look like in our part of the world. 
<coughs> if you see that, that sign there, that green circle, that is literally where we are, right? Carrollton, Texas. If you see that spread out area as it gets bigger and bigger, it spreads out to a second layer, probably a five-mile radius from the church. By the way, that gets my house. And I'm all the way down there, not quite to downtown, but I'm getting out there. Is there I don't, a circle can just keep growing, though, can it? And in every circle, there's a continuous work of every neighborhood until sooner or later, that neighborhood becomes what? Our annual conference, right? The Methodist of North Texas. This is our spiritual area of first responsibility, beginning with our city and our place where we serve and going out in concentric circles until the concentric circle gets jagged, if you will, following the boundaries of our responsibilities as United Methodists in this part of the world. But now, I, bet, I don't know who, let's just find out how good Lauren is, because I didn't tell her to do this. Do you have one of the state of Texas, United States? Well, you're good. You're just not perfect. That's all right. She read my mind about most of it, but she didn't quite get all of my mind. But when you take it outside these United States, then there's Canada. Then there's South America. Then there's Australia as you start moving. There's Europe. There's all these countries and all these places that need to hear the good news of God's love. It's critical that we think about how we're going to do that because that is our mission and how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by creating a community that is connecting people to God and to others. The vision is there to go into every neighborhood. And our mission is to connect people to God and to others. In fact, that mission begins right here, inside this church, inside you people, inside your hearts, inside your minds. We have to decide to be not only connected to God, but connected to others, or this vision will not happen. If others don't connect together with God, then we are not fulfilling the great commandment, the sermon I preached two weeks ago. You cannot be connected to God and decide not to be connected to others. It just won't work. It won't fit. And you say, how do you know that? Because 50% of the people around us are dying and on their way to the lake of fire. Because we'd be more concerned about ourselves than we, and our development as Christians than we have those who are not even Christians yet. Do you sense the difference in that? I spent a lot of my life being agitated by Southern Baptists. I was agitated because they always grew faster than Methodists. I was agitated because all they wanted to do is talk about salvation. Now, in my later years, I'm agitated because they had it right, at least for the most part. We should be 70% about others and 30% about ourselves instead of being 90% about ourselves and 10% about others. If that were the case, then the church of Jesus Christ, not just Methodist, not just Baptist, but the church in general, all those who believe in Jesus Christ, would be like a fire that is now spreading in Africa, that is now spreading in the Philippines, Korea, India. But if you go all the way around that circle, you find yourself in the circle coming to Europe where the fires used to rage for Christ. 
And now you can hardly find embers burning over there. Because, you see, this is a work, this mission and this vision going together that is cyclical and has to, be ke- has to keep on being repeated over and over and over again. A community is reborn over and over and over again because your faith is not automatically the faith of your grandchildren. Your zeal of your grandparents to witness to their neighbors is not automatically your zeal in today's world to witness to your neighbor. In fact, we love being shut up in our houses because there's where all the fun is. We have our phones get perfect service there. And if we don't, we're looking for a house where it does or a new carrier. We have our computers all set up. We have our cupboards with filled with food. We have the TV. And we can zone out after all the day's noise and the time we get home, having made a living to listen to sweet whoever or whatever we want to. We don't have to walk out our back driveway to meet our neighbors. If our kids are grown up, we don't even have to go to baseball games and associate with people we don't know. In fact, the older you get, the harder it is to find somebody you don't know that knows Jesus or doesn't know Jesus because you're all locked into your time and space with each other, aren't we? I got friends everywhere. Quite frankly, I can start visiting friends that I have made in Christ and never see any of you anymore the rest of my life. Because in my circle of ministry for 38 years, I've left friends behind all over the place. Now, some of them i got to contact by special means. i got to talk to them via heaven because they've already beat me there. But that doesn't stop me from adding more people to that place. You say, how do you know that? Because the bishop sent me here and taught me that. Because I had stopped in Frisco. I said, this is good enough. This will be it. I'll stop here, Lord. And when I'm finished, I'll just retire and fade into the sunset of the back row. And Bishop called and said, no, uh you're not either. I got more people for you to meet. And now God keeps prodding me about my neighborhood. Now, I really shouldn't have to check my neighborhood out for Christians. You know why? Larry, you know why? Huh? Katie, you know why? Is Katie back there with you? You know why I don't have to check out my neighborhood? Larry and Katie have been there for 30 some odd years. So I assume if somebody's not lost, they've won them. But you know what? It's possible somebody new has moved in that Katie and Larry don't even know. It's also possible that maybe Katie and Larry couldn't speak their language that I can. But I'll never know unless I ask, will I? My wife already knows more of the neighborhood than I know. She already knows one family, a good friendly group, but unfortunately they go to another church we won't talk about. But that's good. We got, we got one marked down. Now we just have to get all the rest of the houses figured out, right? Filling how many neighborhoods? With what? Of who? Mm-hmm. And we're going to do that how? By connecting them to God and to others, right? And you say, okay, preacher, we get you. want the church to grow. Well, let me be clear about this. That is not what this is about. I mean, your church is important, and I know it, you've been working it for, good Lord, some of you for 40 or 50 years. But if this church dies, the kingdom does not die with it. This church doesn't need to die. Don't get me wrong. Don't mishear me. 
but this kingdom, this church, kingdom is bigger than church. And just adding people to our church so our church will be larger and can build that sanctuary you've been dreaming about for 15 or so years now is not the, really the point of our existence. The point of our existence is to so be on fire for the love of Christ that we've already received, that we've already sung about this morning, that everyone we know and that we haven't been in contact with will have the opportunity when that day comes in Scripture, when they'll stand before the throne of knowing that their name is in the book of life. Two judgments talked about in Revelation. Now, don't get excited if you think I'm about to start a series on Revelation. I'm not. And you say, but have you ever done a series on Revelation? Not that I can recall. And you say, how is that possible after 38 years? I haven't been to a congregation yet that was ready for it. Nor did they have a pastor who was ready for it. You know why? Let me tell you why. Three words. Let's just start with the easy part. Evangelicals, or many of them, are amillennialists, or more of them than are amillennialists, which the church was for more than a thousand years, are now premillennialists if they're evangelicals. But some, even evangelicals, are still postmillennialists. You know what that means? That has everything to do with a thousand year reign of Christ when Christ returns to earth. Here's the problem scholars, even today, after all they know, can't decide exactly what everything means in that passage. They can't even decide whether a thousand years is a literal time or a representative time. Because you see, people interpret the scriptures differently. And you know what else they can't figure out? They can't exactly figure out all the symbols and the timeline that's in the book of Revelation. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yes, they can. You can go right down to the bookstore, and there's just books that you can buy. Well, I'm just telling you right now, that person doesn't know all those answers. Because every one of them are contradictory with each other. And they're all quoting scripture. And you say, yeah, but by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is alive and well in every one of those books and in those congregations. But well-meaning, intentioned, intellectual, biblical people have a hard time making a complete circle out of the book of Revelation because of its drastic nature and because of its difficulty in interpretation and because the biblical terms themselves contradict. Now, I've got a few of you out there going, I'm going to show that preacher wrong, and you're going to bring me an argument because you're a premillennialist or an amillennialist or a postmillennialist, and here's what's going to happen after you leave. I'm still going to love you, and I'm not going to believe you. But I know that you believe what you believe, and I'm glad you do. Because, you see, I know I don't think it can really be proven because I don't think we have the key to all those verses. We don't know which ones to take exactly literal and which ones to take as representative or symbolic. We don't know which ones of them are hyperbolic or not. And God has not revealed that to us. You say, how many books have you brought on the end of time? Zero. No, that's not true. Once I bought a series. <laughs> you know what the series was? You remember it? I read every one of those books. You know, because I thought, I'm going to read these books. I don't know how much hogwash I'm going to find, but I'm going to read these books. You know what? They were written pretty well. It gets pretty wild in the last three or four of them, and it was a struggle to finish the last three or four. But up until that point, I thought, man, that could really be that way. But you know what people do not disagree upon? People do not disagree upon who are trying to be faithful to the text that there's going to be a final judgment day for every human being. That's one thing everybody agrees upon. Everybody agrees that in the end, 
everybody's going to stand before God. There's a judgment of our works. The first judgment where those who have died for the cause apparently are going to be brought to God first. And then there's a second general judgment that's for everybody. Even the seed will give up their dead. And there's a historic reason that John saw that in his vision besides the fact that God inspired it. But, but that's not really the point of this message either. Here's the point. I'm going to make it with you graphically. I want everybody in the front row to stand up. Stand up. Now I want everybody in the third row to stand up. All the way across the church. Everybody in the fifth row, stand up. You got the picture, it's every other row I want you to stand up. And I want you to remain standing. Okay, keep going all the way to the back. Some of you said, I've been sitting back here 20 years. I never had to be a sermon illustration. Time's just changed on you. Every other row, stand up. Figure out where your every other row is. All right, that's pretty good. That's about half the congregation, isn't it? Feel pretty good about standing up? Now, I had a choice to make. Either you could be the people whose names are in the, written in the book of life, or you could be the people who are not. <laughs> we, I'm going to choose you're the ones written in the book of life because it helps the second part of this illustration work better. Are you ready? I want you to turn around now and look at the people sitting down behind you. First, as you do it, do you know who they are? Do you know their names? Some of them may be family. Look at them. Look at them. Now, as you look at them in the world today, they're not those people, but they are the 50% of the people whose names are written in the lake of fire. Every other person, 50% of the people in your world are going to hell. Yes, they are. You know, you say, well, I just don't believe that. I don't care what you believe. There have been a dozen studies, and they keep coming back with approximately the same numbers. 50% in these United States of the people in our world do not believe in Christ and are not affiliated with the church. And they are not going to end up where they think they are. Don't sit down yet if you're still standing up unless you need to physically. If you want to sit down, just remember you're joining the fire, you're joining the fire group. But that's up to you. That's up to you. Now, having turned around, you notice everybody's already turned back and looking at me. I'm not the most important person here because I'm standing. I'm not going into the fire. Now, what are you doing? Look around where they are. Now, I want you to bend down where you can see their eyes very clearly. Bend down and look at them. Get closer to them. Get as close as you can get. You may want to kneel in your seat and lean down. Look into their eyes. See them. See every one of them. Don't miss anybody. Now I want you to reach out and touch them. Touch them. Yeah. Touch them. Takes a little effort. You may have to lean over. You may have to ask them to lean toward you. Exercise yourself. Go to the trouble to touch them. All right, turn back around. Stay standing up. Now that works with the people sitting behind you, right? What about the people sitting in front of you who are sitting down too? What do you see of them? Back of their heads, right? You know if they're bald or if they've got good hair. You know about how tall they are. And maybe if you know them, you know them by name. They might be living down the street from you. You might be sitting behind them or in front of them forever. It's easy to reach out and touch them, right? So touch them. Now, how are you going to see their face? How are you going to look at them in the eye? You have to ask them to turn around, aren't you? Ask them to turn around. Ask them to turn around and look in their eyes. 
Yes, I know this is the end of the sermon. I got that. Now, here's what I want to ask you, you standing up people. When you looked into their eyes, knowing they were lost, did you see someone created in the image of God? Can you pretend that enough? If you looked into their eyes and you saw the image of God and remembered that God loves them just as much as he loves you, then you understand where we are in our world today. You have to go to the trouble to bend down, to stoop, to serve if you want to spread the gospel in every neighborhood. You're going to have to do it not in just actions that touch them. You're going to have to eventually use some words that share with them how important God is in your life. It's only by stooping to serve and by stooping to share that we're ever going to reach these neighborhoods. And sometimes they're going to keep looking straight ahead when we touch them on the back and say, hey, turn around, let's talk. They'll say, no, I don't care about talking. You don't talk to me about your church. And you'll say, well, I really just want to find out how you're doing today. But, you know, church is a good subject. We want to talk about church. No, I don't want to talk about church. Well, okay, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I see you have a boat in the backyard. You like to fish? Yeah. You ever go fishing by yourself? Occasionally. Did you ever think about asking me? (laughs) Share. Share life. Touch somebody. Go to the trouble to find out who they are. Now, church, I'm going to promise you something. If you don't do this, and if churches like us do not do this around the world, you know what's going to happen to the church? I want everybody standing up on this side to sit down. Just this, this is, on the end, y'all keep standing. The end didn't get a break. You see how much it just got increased? All these people are lost. That's what's going to happen over the next 10 or 15, 20 years. We're, we're decaying rapidly between believers and non-believers. Right here in River City. Right here in Carrollton, Texas. Right here in the South. Right here in the Bible Belt. Can you imagine what these numbers would look like west of Texas? I can tell you right now, there won't be 50% of the people standing. You say, well, why are you making this point? We don't talk about hell enough anymore. We don't want to scare anybody to heaven. That's a Methodist saying. The Baptists are terrified that their family's going to hell. The Methodists kind of like, well, some of them kind of got it coming. And that is funny. The problem is, we all deserve it. We all desire to burn. And there's not a one of you standing out there, from the most saintly of you, who when they open that book of deeds, that first book, and talk about your whole life, talk about your thoughts and your feelings, there's not a one of you who are going to feel good about that moment because you're all human. I just plan to go in and go ahead and lie down face down when that time comes. I want to hear, I don't want to be looking at anybody when they're reading my life. Because I've struggled a lot because of Sally. (laughs) And she she would tell you she struggled a little because of me. Okay, she might switch some of that. We all struggle. We all fail. But that doesn't mean we get to quit struggling. That doesn't mean we get to just lie down and die. I wished I could do right, know right now that I was going to live to be 120. So I'd have 30 more years to not give up. Because the church has gotten way too comfortable. The rest of you can sit down now.
But if we don't do something, if we don't touch and serve and share in loving ways, we're going to lose generations to the lake of fire. That's what's going to happen. Now, if you don't think that's more important than your free time, if you don't think that's more important than what you want to do with every day of your life, if you don't think that's more important than anything else on your plate, then I want to gently and lovingly tell you this. You may have been standing up a while ago when we divided the sheep and the goats, but if you feel that way, you just should have sat down because you're not sheep. Sheep can't be okay with people dying and going to hell. Now, yes, I spend most of my time where the fruit bears most of the harvest, but I don't give up on anybody. I can name you names that I'm still praying for and hoping for. I can name you names of half-saved people, barely-saved people. I can name you names and give you addresses of people who said, no, 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 and I keep praying and trying to reach out to them, to touch them in some way, not to give up, but not to waste all my time on one who won't accept the word, but who knows and has had many opportunities to do so. But unfortunately, most Christians get so comfortable with just God. Now, every Sunday, I tell you not to worry about the time, and I tell you I'm watching the time. I'm really not today <laughs> because uh, this is the most meaningful and most important sermon I'm going to preach in a long time. If you don't hear me, if you don't decide to change, if you don't decide to start preparing the way for others more than feathering your own nest as a Christian, we're going to be like every other church, and we're going to continue to die slowly like Methodism has been doing. Talked to a good friend of mine of 30-plus years from seminary yesterday, pastor in Indiana that I'm going to see this summer. We hadn't t- touched base in several years. He's retired once because of disability, and now he's retiring uh, this year from a part-time church because of a, his voice is just gone. He doesn't have any voice anymore because of a strange illness. And he told me about his congregation who regularly attend about 55 people. He said, you know, we were talking about the Methodist meetings that were coming up and what's going on in our beloved United Methodist Church, and he said this. <coughs> and I have to understand, it was a fitting conversation because Mike has to force every word he speaks now. Can you imagine that congregation has been listening to him preach like that for three years and listening to him on the phone? It's every word is an effort to pronounce. Every word. And he hoarsely said to me, in my congregation and in the United Methodist Church that we can talk about, we continue to decline year after year after year. Nobody willing to really address the issue. And he said most of our Methodist churches are spiritual clubs, taking care of themselves. He says these are good, loving, wonderful people. I serve every week, and they take they take me bad voice and all as their pastor. But he says the reality is they just don't have a heart for the people who are lost around them. Because a lot of the people who are lost around us are not like us. They're the kind of people we're going to have to stoop down to serve in order to let them rise up in love of Christ. We're going to be uncomfortable because they're not our kind of people. They're not the kind of people we're used to hanging out with. But they are still created in the image of God and just as valuable in God's sight as we are. And I think my friend and my brother, Mike, is right. If we don't get a sense of the urgency 
of sharing the gospel, we're not going to be preparing the way for many more people to come into the kingdom of God. But rather, we're going to be losing more out the back door than we're bringing in the front door. The whole idea, the whole idea of this preparing the way today and in Lent is for us to seriously take a look at ourselves and just ask ourselves the question, how much of my time is really spent trying to make a relationship with people who don't know Christ versus how much of my time is spent enjoying myself with people I know and love and who I know, lo- know and love me. It's easy work to spend time with them. It's a lot more fun to go out to dinner with them than it is somebody I hardly know and is not even a Christian. Yeah, it is. It's just not nearly as spiritually profitable for the kingdom of God. It takes effort to nurture relationships. And people coming into our church often are coming here looking in that first seven minutes for people to look at them and see a person. Somebody they'll smile at and they'll take their hand, introduce themselves, give them their name, ask them if they can help them with anything. Do you know? Oh, you have children. Do you know where they go? Let me connect you with somebody who can take you to your classroom. Do you want to go to a Sunday school class? Do you need to find a seat in the sanctuary? Do you need to sit down at the front? Do you need to sit at the back? By the way, I'm so glad you're here. Let me just introduce you to somebody else over here who's also a member of this church. We're so glad you're here. How hard is that? How hard is that? How hard is that? You people know more about Jesus than most preachers. Those of you who've been here for 30 plus years, you've been studying the scripture so long. I'm giving you a time out. Time out from studying scripture so much. You say, preacher, do you know what you just said? Yes. Do I think you're going to do it? No. So I want you to give up your TV. I want you to give up your sport team. I want you to give up some of your fun time. I don't care what you give up, but you've got to make way so you can have some time and energy to prepare the way for people who are lost. Every one of you has somebody dear that you've been praying for. I've got family that I'm praying for. That I know they barely have it or they just lightly reaching out and touching it. But they still have a ways to go before they're fully in the hands of the Lord. You have to work at it. You have to turn life around in gentle, easy ways in the culture in which we live. And this is what we're going to teach you to do in the coming months. We're going to teach you how to keep studying Scripture but it emphasizes how you use that scripture in gentle ways with people at the appropriate time with people who are hurting. There's a scripture we just, a passage we just sung, a verse. I asked Lauren to put it on the screen again. In fact, I, I asked her just to leave it on the screen. Now she's walking around to get it on the screen. You say, well, when did you tell her that? During the song. What did you expect her to do? Perform miracles. I always expect that of Lauren. And she always comes through. There it is. You know those people that were sitting down, they're alone in their sorrow. And they're dead in their sins. They're lost without hope. They had no place to even begin. Oh, my God, if we could just be a church that gives people a beginning place to feel good about the church again, to feel good about Christians again, to feel good about God again. What a ministry that would be for the world. Because, after all, it was God's love that made a way to let mercy come into us. And it's God's love that will make mercy 
find a way, if we're just willing to tend the soil a little bit, for love to come into their lives. So death can be arrested because right now they're a walking dead man. You see the movie Dead Man Walking, Green Mile, or oh, wasn't it good? Dead Man Walking, half of the people around you, people, half are dead people walking. That's astounding to me. And it's not that we're special. The same thing happened in Europe. But do you want what happened in France where more than half the people are Muslim now to happen in America? I sure don't. But if we just sit in our comfortable seats, that's what's going to happen. Now, before you train, I don't want you to run home. Well, I would like three of you to do this, and I'll give you time on the mic. But run home, run on your street, knock on every door, and ask them the question. If you die tonight, do you know you're going to heaven? I want you to be so panic-stricken by what I just said that the three of you are going to do that. Because then I'm going to take those three and train them how to go back to all those houses, apologize for what they just did, and start a different way. Because in our culture, that's not the opening statement you want to make when you knock on their door. I want you to be ready, and I want you to be willing. There's no reason for our church to continue to climb because the power of God and the spirit that lives in us is greater than the other spirit. But the only problem is, I can't make you do it. And Jesus won't make you do it. But I pray that Jesus will just bother you and make you miserable until you do it. Not for your benefit, although it will greatly change your life, but because half of the people around you are walking dead people. I'm tempted to ask you to raise your hand if you really believe that, but it would probably be embarrassed. It might end us into a, a time of talking, too. That's the other thing that would worry me. Some of you would say, well, I want to prove to you that's not right. And I would say, well, hmm, I could have walked down those stairs, but I, I, I'm safer if I walk over here. Because I can't fall down right now because i got to stand up. Because in the coming years, I'm going to lose what's left of this old body to motivate you. You talk to your neighbor. Say, well, how are you planning to do that? Well, if you're a man, maybe a swift kick in the, uh, I'll work on that last word. If you're a lady, maybe just trying to touch your emotions. Maybe to get you to see and to believe that half the world's really perishing because most Christians don't believe that. They'll say this, well, everybody I know is a Christian. And I always say now, yeah, that's the problem. Everybody you know is a Christian just about. But you quit trying to know other bodies. Man, I can't believe you know that I'm a Christian. Preparing the way, I wonder if you're ready. If you're ready to repent of the way you've been living, and you're ready to prepare the way in your own heart so that you might prepare the way for others.
you know, we come to the prayer time at Chesler Well a lot to pray for one another, to pray for one another when people are going on mission trips, to pray for one another with the struggles we face. But I don't know how many times we come to this place to repent of the lack of the depth that we have, that when we look in a human being's eyes, we don't know. And we go, you know, I know that person, my neighbor, they never go to church. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know anything about them. But I know they've told me they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in an eternal life. And I've never said a thing to them about it. I've never invited them to my house to dinner. I've never stood beside them. So I'm in effect saying, I'm okay if you go to hell. If I, if we had longer, I'd just say, lay down. Lay down, seat, and don't stand up, and you'd just be gone. And I, what, you'd be gone. So it's not a big loss in my life, is it? Until they read that book of life, that first book, where I'll hear, Duh, you know that person you never ask about their life? I'll go, which one, Lord? So yeah, I got a long list here, you talkative rascal. You had a thousand chances to talk to a thousand people, and you did it. Uh, you found time for 150 of them. And I'll say, Lord, forgive me. I'll look around the sucker behind me and say, boy, I hope they did worse than I did. But then when I look back around, I'll say, but Lord, I did believe in you. And yeah, he'll forgive me and I'll go to heaven. But there's something about that first judgment that we want to skip. I'm part of Jesus in this earth and his work, and so are you. I know I'm asking for some of you a mountain of things to do. I know it. And some of you can go, well, I can do that. I'm a salesman. And you're right. You can do it like falling off the log. You can talk your way into anything. But can you serve your way into something? Because every salesman I've met, you know what they wanted to sell? <laughs> something to me, right? A salesman probably will be more effective for Christ when they're serving out of humility and doing something for somebody else instead of for themselves. I, I don't know. I just want to ask you while we're singing this last song today. I'm not even going to give an invitation to come to Christ, which I, if you could have knocked down my door and tell me, I just want to accept Jesus today. Okay, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to accept you. I always make an invitation every time I preach, but today that's not the invitation I want to extend. I'm extending this invitation. What do you need to do and repent of so that you can be a part of the great work of the future kingdom of God? Not the past kingdom, but the future kingdom of God. What are you going to do? What is the obstacle in your way you need to repent of so that you can share the gospel? Here's the chancel rail. It's open. It's a place for your repentance to begin. And the place for it to end is Monday through Saturday the people you know in need. Chancellor Rail's open. Let's stand and sing.